I've never lived up to my expectations, so I accept the patience. Expect the worst, but now I'm pacing back and forth inside a melting like water on wicked witches. A monster truck don't came and ran over my picket fences. I had the best of life in my clenches, but monkey wrenches was thrown like chairs kings sit on. My prayers sing too long. I fall asleep before the ending. Don't even get to say amen. I hope he understand. I be on bended knees. At times I think I'm crazy, then I say forget it. Or maybe it's the devil infiltrating and like Riddick. Bro, I've been fighting this since them fetus days. I'll count from one to twenty when I'm through. Repeat the phrase. It's just a phase. It's gone all past, but that gets old too. I'm weakening like a deacon doing dirt. What am I supposed to do? We're looking to start some new shit. I'm writing this rhyme in fate, so when you hear it, hope you chew it. My nigga, you do it like swooshes. The lyrical cleansing nuisance. Wiping away your germs and filling your craniums with juices. See, mo goes on. My slick flow flows on. Straight from West Savannah, Georgia, but the Swats is my home. Never go wrong, cause the click is tight again. That ass ain't that bad. Mosquitoes, now we goes. I'm proud of you people for selling your crack and sack sack. I'm glad I'm white, not black. Shit on the real, that's how the mites really act When your back was turned, them slackers learnt And now we falling apart You look at me in my eye, but you ain't feeling me in your heart Yes, yes, love, give me the power We live in the final hour These niggas, they leave me stranded like Rapunzel in the tower Now or never, let's stick together and overcome But they don't feel like marching Cause they shoot just overrunning that a bitch back to inclusionism it is sunday it's 5 36 in the p.m and uh we're here in harlem with um with another extraordinary guest uh mr kunal sud uh brother sud he's uh he has a long profile we'll put it on the website i, I won't <laughs> read it all but he's a let's see where to start he's a u.n insider he is the organizer of the uh, Novus Conference and TEDx at the United Nations, also the X Fellows, and I think you know just an all-around influencer. I see him at Singularity University events. Yeah. I see him around the city. He sort of knows everyone that either you want to know or that you that the people who you want to know knows, um, et cetera, et cetera. And um, I think the most interesting thing about uh, a lot of this particular community is a lot of what they're talking about are solutions to problems with regards to, you know, to overall peace, to overall relations, whether those be international relations, intercultural relations, domestic relations, et cetera. So um, with that said, uh, Kunal, thank you. Thank, thank you, you for joining us. Yeah. Huh. So I feel like well, we were talking about a few things on the way up here. We were talking about this book that you have in your hand. For anyone who's not looking online, uh, Kunal has a book called The First Sale, and it's by Azra Raza. That is an amazing name. 
Um, the subtitle of the first sale is And the Human Cost of Pursuing Cancer uh, to the Last. So we were talking about curing cancer on the way up. Yeah. So is this just a peak interest of yours? Are you, you're interested in solutions to problems, I feel like, uh, in general. Well, actually, my life started with medicine. Really? My dream was to be a doctor. Let's go way back there. So um, as a little boy, your dream was a yeah, doctor? No. Um, was it your a, parents? Well, as a little what? boy, I always just wanted to be a superhero. <laughs> there was no doctor, astronaut, lawyer in the cards. But I did have a godfather who was uh, India's first cardiologist. Yes. Who believed I would have made a good doctor. What, what was his name? Let's his go. name was Dr. Cherian. So where, let's, okay, let's do, all right, you're taking me somewhere totally different now, but this is fun. Right. Wh where was he from? What, what city, uh, what, what neighborhood, no, I'm just, but what, what area in, in India? It's funny you say that. Um, yeah. So Dr. Cherin actually was from India. Yeah. And I was born in a place called Chennai, which is south of India. I know Chennai. We, yeah. uh, I used to work heavily with a bunch of companies there. When I worked for HP, we did oh, all yeah. of our outsourcing Exactly, there. all the outsourcing. So we were business. in and out. They were the, the real brains behind the thing. And we were just, we were selling stuff mostly in Europe in the Horn of Africa. Yeah, so Get he out of was, here. I didn't know that. Yeah, so he <laughs> was uh, one of the most extraordinary doctors. He was actually one of the first physicians in India. Mm. And he had to prove his proficiency by doing a heart surgery on a dog. Mm. To prove that, because at that time you weren't allowed to do do heart surgeries on human beings, because we were still under in India British, or anywhere British Raj rule. What, what in year India. is this? Oh, just oh in my India. God, before we had independence. Right. Okay. And so then we got in independence, and he went to Australia to train, which was kind of like sure. coming to America at the time. You know, right. So. Right. Right. So this right, especially in that in that region. In well, that yeah, yeah, exactly. And so he became right down to India. one of the yeah. most extraordinary doctors on earth. He then came back, even though he had a massive opportunity to go back to the UK mm. and become one of the royal physicians, he actually moved back to India to work in what you would call the projects of India, mm. which we call the railroads. I'm like, what do you all call them? Okay, the railroads. Yeah, the railroads. So I think we saw some of that in that exactly, slum dog you know, like for all people the, who don't yeah, know exactly. India. Exactly, yeah. so all the slums. Yes. And he became kind of like a, a world famous in India for sure. Mm -hmm. And... Um, he saved my life. He saved my family's life. He may save my dad's life, my mom, my grandmom, everyone has been touched by him in some way. And then unfortunately in 2006, when I was actually training with him to learn the art of medicine and well-being, and we had these dreams of opening the first integrative medical center, he took his own life. No way. Yeah. And that kind of threw my whole world into a completely different, you know, like it, completely obliterated all my dreams of being, you know, f family business by day, working at the hospital by night, learning how to be a quasi-doctor without being a doctor. So but you just stopped. So you, and, well, two things about that. So you looked at the hospital as family business. I kind of saw it as a, no, I saw the hospital as a calling. All right, it was something that the family did. Yeah, something that the you, family, that you should have did, done. What we did is iron and forging. Yes. And we made automobile and earth moving equipment. Okay, okay. By day. That right, was by my, day. By day. And <laughs> by night, I was allowed to go to the doctor's office and yeah. sit there as his apprentice. Yes. And learn the art of healing. Yes. By sitting by his side. And um, it was really a blessing because, you know, I had this massive opportunity to be with someone yeah. who had over 70 years of the most extraordinary training on earth. Yeah. And he just treated me like a son. Yeah. And so when he left me 
and that's when my journey began to come back and do the work I do now. So, so losing him was my uh, So he was the care. He was the sort of commencement point. Yeah, he but was like the spark that lit the fire behind the work I do today. So he was the spark before his end or, or that seminal point, like his, his death his triggered end. you. Yeah, to, his, uh, him. To continue the work of... Well, it wasn't that pre-Peachy and Rosie. Uh, I went sure, through no, pre- right. I went through sound. something that I now know because I studied psychology yeah. right after he died. Uh, I remember for a while I couldn't, because I used to live in, in Madras, yeah. in Chennai, with him, and my parents were in Delhi. Yeah. Right? So he was pretty much my family. Yeah, because that's pretty far. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I, I pretty much started spending more time in the factory, I mean, more time in the hospital and less time in the, factory. in the factories, yeah. you know, and and mostly because it was such a blessing to be around him. Sure. Just to see how he did his, you know, work and yeah. how he healed so many lives. You know, we'd have a thousand patients at least a day wow, wow. right out the gates yeah. because it's India. Yeah. And I right. was amazed at how he he really, uh, you know, the science and the art of medicine mm-hmm. was something that I felt was he, something he commanded with grace. Yeah. And um, he didn't need, um, you know how over here they send you for tests. Sure. And then they verify right. what you have afterwards. Right. He used to actually look at you diagnose you and then send you for the tests. Yes. So and then he would verify what he thought intuitively he knew you had. And so was it and with regards to like hospital and infrastructure in Madras at that time mm-hmm. was this this was sort of the only place that people could could go or, or was it one of a few it was how one far of the, away were they? It was one of the few yeah. and you know he was kind of like a doctor amongst doctors sure. like a Doctor of doctors, like a leader of leaders. Right, right. Like if you wanted to call Folks him, came to him the, yeah, the, you know, he the would, newbies, the young exactly. Like everyone would come to him as a, yeah, as kind of like a mentor. Sure, yeah. And I'll never forget um, his do- his hospital was pretty boutique and small. Yeah. But he would go to the bigger hospitals when necessary. Sure. And he would do rounds at different hospitals. Like we started Deviki, which was the place he used to live at. Yeah. He used to live in the hospital. And when he didn't live in the hospital, he'd come seek refuge at home with me. Right. You I want know? you to give us like a, a sort of a geographical sort of idea of the setting. So, you know, if, if you're riding around Manhattan, you yeah. can only go about 20 or 30 blocks right. before you see another right. hospital. Right. But you're going, what, miles and miles? We're going miles. because so it's like it going depends. to Queens before you see the next exactly. one. Exactly. So he'd go first. <clears throat> the, the hospital itself would have been like in the Soho mm-hmm. of... Chennai. Okay, so you right? so you start in Soho. And so then I start you, in Soho, and then, then you go to like Times where? Square, right? Where you have like these bigger hospitals, and yes, he'd right. do the rounds, and then we'd oh, go like it, the outside into the suburbs, yeah, you know, and uh, where the airport is, kind of like JFK, yeah, so Queens, or yeah, definitely, you know, and yeah. then we'd go do rounds there, then and go to I Long just, yeah, yeah, and then I just <laughs> exactly, and then, <laughs> um, and then he'd come back, and he was eighty-five years old, so yeah. he was pretty, you know, wow. he was pretty legitimately active up till the end of his life and then because even when you say before independence i'm thinking that's right <coughs> before the world war way before yeah yeah before yeah, yeah this has to be like this was 20s, like 1920s 30s. yeah you know when he started like he was born and then he just you know he rose up the ranks and right and he was old when you were a youngster he exactly was, yeah right and then fast forward when he did take his own life it taught me you know in india we have this um need to uh 
uh, make people gods, mm. you know, like deities, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, even if they're human beings. Sure. So I kind of had him at god status. Yeah, it was god level. You know, so and when he did what he did, um, it really taught me that he was only human. Mm. That was the first lesson. How did that <clears throat> feel? Like, so it I, felt I mean, it felt traumatic in the beginning because I felt like. You know, you usually blame yourself because I wasn't there. Sure. I was the one morning I decided to. Yeah. You felt like, right. Oh, I could have done something if the I'd known. trauma is right. Sometimes I feel like it was almost like, you know, he was like a father figure. Sure. Godfather. So he protected me from death. Not once did I witness death. Sure. In the hospitals. In fact, I remember one time there was someone dying and he quickly pulled me away. Yeah. So almost like the story of the Buddha. Yeah, yeah. Protecting me so from suffering. Let me understand you know, medicine minus the deep suffering that goes with medicine. And then all of a sudden I was literally um, forced to uh, come to terms with, you know, the fragility of humanity when I lost him the way I did. And then when I did that, it really taught me how to introspect and be really real with myself and not fool myself. Because mm -hmm. all this while I thought I was, <clears throat> you know, working for someone who was a doctor and I was going to do my family business by day and be some kind of healing doctor-like yeah. figure by night. And I always knew that the residents and the doctors did have a little bit of uh, yeah. a problem with me being someone without a white coat that just walked in and was treated that way. So they didn't want you there after after he left? Oh, not at all. Like, they showed out. me... Really? Yeah, they the showed door? me the door very quickly. <laughs> oh my God. And in a very polite way, they were like, you need to get training. And, you know, in all honesty, yeah. I think that was my first lesson in humility. Sure. And, you know, to curb my grandiosity. Right. Of believing that I was a doctor without being the doctor. Interesting. So for me, you know, the first step in any voyage, I believe, or journey you undertake is you have to train. Yeah. You have to train and you have to train hard mm. and you have to have inner transformation in order to have... Uh, a, a proven uh, track, proven record of outward impact. I like that. I mm -hmm. I, I, I agree with it whole wholeheartedly. Um, and I do think, well, and, and I, you know, in your younger self's uh, defense, I think you know, sort of one of the tragedies of being a young person in general is you can make a lot of assumptions about what your capabilities are yeah. without uh, having tested them against the rigor of the world. But, exactly. Um, but okay, so, so you were there, yeah. and then, so that helped you transition <coughs> to, so what I'm getting is, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, is, so your guiding force is really healing in general. And, healing and, in and general, And trying yes. to study or understand how might we distribute healing. I'm a bit of a, well, not a bit of, I'm, so I sort of my core is I'm a process engineer. I mean, right. and I was an economist later, but, so I'm always thinking about process engineering. I'm always, most problems in my purview are, mm -hmm distribution problems, or right. not most. I should say, and I've said this way too many times, I, I realize it's on YouTube now, but I think all problems are distribution problems. And mm -hmm. so I like where you're going because it just makes me think, so you're trying to figure out how do we better distribute healing? What is it? How do we get it to people that may need it? And but how do I do it with my strengths? Well, right? right, right. How do you do it with your strengths? But are you, I think the sort of, and this is the nerdy show, so we, we can feel free to tumble way down the rabbit hole here, yeah. but but... I think one really interesting thing to me is, are you still trying to, if this is even an option, save that man? You know? <coughs> so like, like, like in distributing healing to folks, right? Mm -hmm. Via your skill sets. Yeah. Are you 
is the objective to save them or is the objective to just pair healing with, with what they already are? Is it saving someone else? Is it not? Is it, you know, what, what do you think is driving that sort of psychologically, emotionally? Hmm. I think, you know, when I think about Dr. Cherry now, I feel like he's an archangel on my shoulder. Sure. And yeah. more of a blessing. Yeah. And I think now the journey is more to save myself mm. so that I can save or even transform the world. Mm. So how can I change the world if I can't even change myself? Mm. So yeah. really speaking, <clears throat> my, my journey uh, for those years, especially immediately when it happened, was to really uh, put my oxygen mask on. Because mm. a lot of the times, you know, we end up putting on other people's oxygen masks before we put our own oxygen mask That's on. A, wait, pause right there for me really quick. Yeah. So I was just having a talk with someone. I just, um, you know, you get on the plane. And right. That's a great analogy. I just got off. I just came from Michigan this morning right. and rushed up here to the station. But, um, you know, I said to a lot of folks, I was talking about division in the world in general at a, at a talk I was doing there for the, for the congressional campaign. Yeah. And I was talking about our desperation sort of our mm -hmm. pervasive desperation and how we feel sort of cut off when we see other folks get things if we are so desperate and sort of solutions for that desperation but the analogy i use is you know even though we're always told to put the child's mask on before you put on or put your own yeah, mask yeah. on before you put on the child's we normally we're we're not we're not thinking like that way you know we sort of cast ourselves out we we leave ourselves we flounder a bit when yeah. trying to figure out how to um remedy problems yeah okay and so so but i just had to do that you know branch off a bit but so back to what you were saying <coughs> so you're trying to figure out how to how to save yourself yeah so and put my oxygen mask on so that i can save not just someone else but many other people yeah because the more oxygen you have yeah right the more oxygen you can distribute sure because you have that much more energy and sure. that's what i've learned you know and and i've been guilty of putting on a couple of masks before I put on myself, and then I'm like <laughs> gasping for energy, uh, yeah. breath, and then I can do another two. But the truth is, you know, what I've really reflected on over the past decade is the idea of finding my massive transformative purpose so that I can inspire others to find theirs and mm. then allow them to do the same, which is with that ability to really find meaning and purpose, mm -hmm. go out and inspire others to do the same. Yeah. So you kind of become a leader of leaders. Sure. And you create, you know, this ability to create leaders, not just followers, which I think is a little bit of a problem today that people are following more than they're leading. Sure. Followership is important. It is. You I know, mean, but yeah. I think what's even more powerful is when you can turn those followers or allow them to become leaders. Yeah. You know, and let them have their massive transformative purpose uh, traject into the world yeah. in a way that effectively influences and impacts, positively impacts yeah. the lives of others. Yeah, no, I agree. I think one thing, one problem that I'm, that I'm seeing, even as I look out across the Internet and I see so many like self-help and yes, you can yeah. sort of rhetoric moving around, I still see this this uh, dearth of infrastructure mm -hmm. for people to really get to a point on, you know, Maslow's hierarchy for, you know, lack of going down into uh, elaborate displays of, of what people need. If, if anyone's not familiar, just Google Maslow's hierarchy. But I think 
there is a certain amount of infrastructure that folks need to get to that point where they can lead. But you're right. I think for the for the potential leaders, yeah, for the folks who are available, um, I like that the that the admission is this sort of um, build and distribute leaders to yeah. to the world. Because I also agree with you in that there is a dearth of leadership. I see it here politically. Mm-hmm. I was just in an event last week with a bunch of local political leaders um, <coughs> in sort of, I would say, what the commanding generation right now, which I think is Gen X. The people, yeah. they're you know, about 40 to 60 years old right now. Mm-hmm. And they were complaining about an older guard that sort of didn't build a pipeline. They were talking about the pipeline. The whole meeting was about the pipeline. The, right. the power pipeline is, is what they were calling it. Mm-hmm. And everyone was saying these, uh, these older folks, the, mm-hmm. the baby boomers of this Air, this place, this yeah. neighborhood, we were talking about Harlem in particular, mm-hmm. said they didn't build a pipeline for people to come in and participate. Now, as a slightly younger brother to that group, as a 38-year-old, yeah. I was saying, I hear all of you around, you know, what infrastructure these elders didn't build. I was like, mm-hmm. but at the same time, mm-hmm. the one thing they respect is, you know, you going out, finding something and bringing back some some leadership to them. You Politics doesn't empower itself, doesn't distribute itself that way. It it does have the ability, I think, at least in my experience, to be intoxicating right. or to, you know, invoke Aristotle's absolute power corrupts absolutely. And so you have to constantly provide this formidable opposition to it. Mm-hmm. And so as a, again, as a process engineer, as a markets guy, I'm always thinking about competition and arbitrage of, of sorts. And so I like what you all are doing. Uh, well, at X-Fellows, we'll talk about X-Fellows yeah. and, and other things, but I like the idea of saying, I'm going to try to distribute a bunch of leaders. Yeah. And even if they lead while disagreeing with each other, mm-hmm. there's potential for them to create this sort of rigorous opposition yeah. where value comes out of that. Exactly. I think that is a good thing. I do think, you know, sometimes even when power is too, you know, homogenous, things just become... Exactly. They, they can knock us off, too. It's true. That's yeah. what disruptive innovation is about, right? Yes. Yeah, it's having opposive, have... opposing yeah. points of view so that there's something disruptive that... Yeah you can co-create out of that opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah, I'm like, what are you guys going to put? Like, what are you going to bring here? You know, I mean, let's definitely complain, yeah. but then, then what are we going to do? I mean, let's look at this, yeah. this situation right now, okay? Yeah. We, we see that we're so polarized on so many levels. Sure. Ever since, Every you issue. know, um, uh, Donald Trump came into power. Sure. You know, and I've tried to re-engineer my vision mm-hmm. of that as a blessing versus a curse. Because it's I'm with both. You. you know, it's no, both. I hear you. Yeah. There's no doubt that there's good and evil on uh, either side of any kind of uh, spectrum. But sure. I, I choose to look at it as a blessing because I've had to prove myself. Mm-hmm. I've had to come to terms with so much uh, within myself. You know, I've had to become uh, a lot of the values I believe I live for, which is transformational, integral, and extraordinary. You know, so how do I live in integrity? How do I be transformational as a leader mm. and how do I become extraordinary with or without fear or favor and despite all of the odds against me yeah you know because that's what I believe true heroes are made of yeah it, they faced uh truth and they did the right thing despite all of the odds being against them yeah so you know you have to do everything you can and hope that the odds are in your favor Right. Yeah. So for me, that is really at the core of the work I do. It's to make the impossible possible without fear or favor, no matter what, even if it costs your life. 
And then if you are willing to die for it, then you live every life and every breath dying to do what you believe you were meant to do on this planet. I totally agree. And that's how I, you know, I live my life now. I will say a lot of, yeah, I think that's something, only something that, yeah, I think there is a certain privilege that comes along with being able to be a leader. And it, there is a certain privilege that comes along with being able to say, I will die for this particular thing. Yeah. And then you live for it. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, you right. Know? You end up living for it. You yeah. end up doing extraordinary things uh, for it. And we've seen so many leaders, you know, live long lives doing yeah. things that they're willing to die for. We've seen also more than a few die, you yeah. know, what they would die for. But mm-hmm. uh, the point is the sort of, I think, the rigor of trying to understand how we better coexist here or how we better exist here, period. Uh, helps leaders proliferate because I, mean, I keep thinking back to that conversation that I mentioned earlier that we were yeah. having two weeks ago yeah, where folks yeah. were talking about leadership in general. Yeah. I'm like, you know, the the rigor of the situation should produce a few <coughs> leaders. Like if, if we don't see them coming out, we should ask ourselves what's wrong. Are yeah. we Are we engaging other people, ourselves in the right way? Like what are we doing wrong? Are we even relevant? Because if, if we're not seeing them even come out of this group of there may have been 30 people in that room, right. then I would ask the question, how relevant are the people in the orgs that are participating in this mm-hmm. room? And, you know, and I asked them that, and they, uh, you know, I got a few blank answers back, mm-hmm. but, you know. Yeah. It's, it's, it's probably the hardest thing to do. If we can automate everything else the way, I think this is more, leadership is a culture, and mm-hmm. it is not tech. And so it is not something that you can automate it. Humans will be necessary to establish, I think, why we are here and why we should be here and why we should take precedent over something else. Yeah. Some other tech. And so so it is hard in, in their favor. I'm trying to figure out how to I may, they may be listening. So. Well, <laughs> but yeah. I'm just saying, you yeah. know, if if we look at the the consciousness of the universe right now, obviously something happened in this world that we're where we are at right now. Amazon's burning right now. Mm. The Amazon forest is burning, it is. which is a huge tragedy <coughs> of epic proportions. And there's not much people can do. You know, what I mean, even rallying cries to stop it. Yeah. You know, has has been met with pain. And yesterday, I put on. You know, I turned on my um, my computer and I saw this really beautiful photograph, which was so sad mm. at its core where, you know, the military's been, uh, you know, galvanized and uh, put to work to save the Amazon. And there was this, um, you know, guy who was holding onto a cheetah because the cheetah had jumped into the water to save themselves. And you could see how this ferocious animal was vulnerable enough to give his life to this human being, which would usually be his breakfast or at least a nice chunk of it just to try to survive just to survive there is this deeper core to humanity and and life where we can coexist but it takes that kind of pain and suffering and i really believe that you know we're in a time of pain and suffering but once we push through that pain you know and really endure the suffering when we can bear it uh there is an extraordinary amount of hope let's take a quick break. I want to come back and talk about sort of that, that core meaning because I have a whole lot to say about, well, the, about survival yeah. uh, and nature, yeah. survival over nature uh, in, in general. But um, I, like, I like where this is going. Yeah, we'll be right back. You're listening to WHCR 90.3 FM, The Voice of Harlem.
We're back. Um, I think, well, uh, first off, the, the name of that song was Energy by Iman Omari. He, um, he does a lot of cool stuff with people like Solange, etc. Um, I liked him on the St. Heroin album. And during the break, we were, well, we were talking about energy and, yeah. and, um, and the like. And I think we didn't mention it explicitly, but we were definitely talking about it uh, before we uh, went to that break. Um, and we sort of we left off on the Amazon and yeah. survival and survival and how yeah. even the animal kingdom and mankind can come together. Yeah, you know, where there's this uh, animal, this beast. Yeah, you know, a lion or a cheetah. I think it was a cheetah, but could have been a lion. But um, literally was helpless and willing to forfeit its own life and survival to a human being that was also in a state of. I'm sure he was scared. <laughs> In his own way. Yeah, um, I mean, they are, yeah. You know, because you never know with a wild beast what can happen. But you knew in that time that they were one and they knew that they needed each other to support the survival of one another. Yeah, and it's interesting that's how that takes powerful. priority. Yeah. Yeah, like survival is, I think we see it even when people like naturally and instinctually, you know, they hear a loud sound and they run the opposite way. It's just there's a priority that yeah. we are hardwired for to survive mm -hmm. you know i think primates do it other you know animals do it and well and this was an example of it yeah and well, i think the times yeah. when you don't have to be in that yeah. primal state of fear and 
you know, survival. Yeah. And one of those states, for example, would be when we all land, when man landed on the moon. Mm. You know, the first time we landed on the moon, it was one small step for man yeah. and one giant leap for mankind. Yeah. And why that was, was because everyone around the world yeah. united and we became one and said we landed mankind, womankind, humankind landed, landed on the moon. It was a hopeful <coughs> moment. It was, it was a big seminal moment. We completely forgot about, oh. I don't know that people understand how big that was yeah, now. You're Indian. Yeah. I mean, I'm Indian. Yeah. You're African-American. Yeah. Yeah, there was none of that separation. It was like we, we landed on the moon. Right. So I feel like that's, you know, the, the bipolar existence that we live in is when we make the impossible possible and when we're, the stakes are that high, mm. I feel that's when... You know, humanity's uh, core strengths of consciousness or energy, as you say, are tested. And energy is a very powerful thing. Yeah. You know, you see 70-year-old men being adorned, you know, when they're not in their peak physical shape. They're sure. not in their peak prime as far as, you know, um, they're even maybe things that they did. They yeah. probably did their best things earlier on in life, Much like earlier, in their 50s. Yeah. Or, But their, their energy has been they've mastered their energy, you yeah. know, the energetic space to a point where people want to be around them. People want to associate themselves with that energy. Yeah. And to me, that's a real blessing. Um, if you can really uh, create that kind of uh, energetic space around, to, yeah. around you and allow for people to feel safe and feel like they belong and they're needed. Right, at some point in your life, right. That's the objective, to get to that point where, yeah. yeah. And you can inspire that kind of leadership yeah. around you. That's, to me, a very powerful place to begin. Right, like leadership is the method, but the end, the goal is, is, is to have good energy. It's Wait, it's like, inclusion, yeah. It's inclusionism. Yes. It's yeah. how do you make people feel included yeah. no matter what, no right. matter where they're from, or who they are. Right. Right. Well, and that's real buying that. Yeah. yeah. You know, no matter whether you're from the bottom of the pyramid or the top. Sure. You see, because sure. I believe that people from the bottom as well as the top suffer. No, it's they just do. a different kind of suffering. People and suffer. I believe that um, the art of being inclusive mm -hmm. without fear or favor and the belief that you can, you belong and you are needed mm -hmm. for something that's bigger than you, you yeah. know, greater than yourself. Yeah, I think, yes, that is so, it's so necessary um, to have some sort of, and I think this is the, the, the difficulty of our time uh, in, in this place where I think especially in the, the Western world and mm -hmm. really just in America, and I'll even narrow it down to just New York in general. Like we, I live in Harlem. Yeah. It's, a, it's a lot more churches per capita here than most places, but, but they're poorly attended. To be right. uh, quite honest, uh, except on uh, when tourism is upon us, right. and and the problem with that, regardless of whether people feel more or less Abrahamic per those particular mm. institutions, I think is is not as relevant as the question of how necessary is it to have a firmly established goal that is bigger than us to say. This, this is why we must be inclusive. This yes. is why we must have humility. This is why we must seek reconciliation at every point where we realize, oh, I didn't understand that other guy and, um, and I did something wrong or they mm -hmm. did something wrong or we were both offended or you know what I mean? So, yeah. and so we don't have that though, I don't think right now. Even, even when we talk about uh, the, I think the byproducts of that, whether it's our inability to act on climate, Right. Whether it's economic despair, yeah. whether it's all of these sort of gender and racial and other issues, mm -hmm. um, and you're right in that 
the modern technologies around us are polarizing because they're pumping up everything. So everyone is adopting their micro issue and they cannot be cross-functional at this point. Or at least that isn't proven in the data. We don't see people saying, I'm going to represent this and this and that, and I have the capacity to do it all at once. Everyone's life is turned into a communication strategy where they're like, I can only talk about this today. I can't talk about that. I just saw it on my Twitter account today. Something came in about LGBT, this and that, what we were talking about basic income. Someone's like, I didn't know that. And why do we leave this to talk about that? And it's like, well, we can do both. Yeah. We can do both right here. <laughs> so, so with, with you all at, at X Fellows, per the, the effort right. of distributing inclusion mm -hmm. via, via the vessel of, of humans, yes. right? Um, and, and the method of leadership. What it, so how do X Fellows come, up, come about? It's a great brand, though, by yeah, the way. I just want to say you. in general. Like, yeah. It seems like it'd just be a great T-shirt. <laughs> X in front of everything. Just like yeah. what they're doing with eyes now. Yeah. X is everywhere. But yeah. But yeah, so what? Um, let's go to the the beginning of of X Fellows. Like, how did? Well, the the idea was to unlock my uh, hidden superpower. Yes. Because I grew up, you know, ma mainly an outsider for a lot of my life. Because mm -hmm. I grew up really obese. I was three hundred fifty mm -hmm. pounds. Really. And yeah, it was interesting. I always called myself the Black Labrador, the Black Lab of the family. Ah. Yeah, the dog, really? the retriever, yeah, yeah. No, right? I'm with so, you. Yeah. And that that guy in the family. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then what happened the black was. Black sheep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I never saw myself as a sheep. Sheep. All right, know? Black Lab. I was though, more right. like an affectionate Labrador. I love. Like, <laughs> I like that. You know, I was very sheep. affectionate growing yes. up and. Sometimes to my detriment, and uh, <laughs> yeah, I was very loyal and very loving, and yes. and then you know, like any dog, you know, if you're prodded, mm. you become. It was so interesting. I was prodded and prodded and bullied as a kid mm. by my own, like the bullies, you know, the bullies, sure. the cool kids in school, yeah, yeah. who came from yeah. so-called aristocratic families, yeah, and it was interesting. You know, the two outcomes there. One is you either become the victim. Yeah. You know, because you're being, um, uh, totally. you know, uh, attacked I mean, by these perpetrators. Yeah. Right? right. Or you rise up mm -hmm. uh, or sometimes you morph, you know. Mm. And what happened is over time, yes, I did go through the victim mode of there's something wrong with me and mm -hmm. I'm not good enough and I'm it's fat and there. ugly and yeah. stupid, blah, blah, blah. But then I started realizing that, no, I'm not. Yeah. You know, I'm not stupid. Yeah. I may be fat, but yeah. I'm going to use this uh, to my, you know, to my, uh, to my survival. Sure. Right? To yeah, survive. To survive. To, to in fact, yeah. uh, uh, out, outbeat these bullies. Yeah. And so from a black Labrador, I became a black panther. I love it. You know, and I morphed into this new beast. Yeah. yeah. Right? And from all of a sudden... From Black Lab, I was Black Panther. And when I was in Black Panther mode, mm. you know, I mm. became like the bully of the bullies. So all of these yeah. kids that used to be bullied in school used to come to me for protection. Oh, my God. Yeah, so I they'd come up to yeah. me go. and they'd be like, yeah. okay, uh, you know, that, that's the guy. That's Kunal. Go, yeah. go, go. Um, <laughs> take him to this, uh, you know, jackass and see guy. how, you know. Right. Not scary, but yeah. intimidating. Right, right. You know, I right. wasn't seeing But, yes, I was seeing as a beast. How did you do it? Was it like... Uh, Quick with the tongue, or was it physical? Or was it, it, it was intimidation. intimidation. It was because yeah. it, it would often, and yes, there was po points of altercation, but that would sure. be a last resort because just like right. the beast, yeah, uh, a black panther is a noble creature, yeah, right? It's not, 
it's considered it's a very sacred yeah it's a very sacred creature yeah. in africa mm -hmm. right so my mom bought me a black panther actually from africa oh really yeah she brought me like a sculpture of a very famous sculpture of black panther yeah and and it's almost like she intuitively knew this about me yes because yeah. i used to get in trouble because don't forget, I used to go up against the aristocratic bullies. Yeah. So yeah. they'd go yelping to their mommies because they're also scared at the end of the day. Sure. Bullies are not like these bulletproof vests. They're like little they're children yeah, they, who yeah. go back broken record and they're be, mommy, yeah. mommy, he hurt me. They're like those little you dogs know? that yap exactly. at the door. As as exactly. They're like right. growling on the outside, but inside they're little. They're yeah. really scared, yeah. you know. Um, and yeah. so it was really interesting. I became this Black Panther that used to protect the weak mm. or pr protect like the nerds and the geeks. I love it. And, and they loved me. So yeah. they shared their food with me and <laughs> I share my food with them. And it's something Indians love doing. So, yeah. and, and, you know, and then I made friends with this, uh, an elder group of people because rumor got around that there's this kid who protects, yeah. you know, really? the vulnerable. Yeah. That's so then I became really friendly with the older cool kids, yeah. you know, like the grease lightning yeah. kids of school. And it just completely shifted my, um, my perspective. But the good thing was, even at that time, I was never besotted by mm. fame or glory. Yeah. And I never lost that internal fire, you know, of protecting the weak, protecting the poor, mm -hmm. or protecting those that are less than of than you are. Because yeah. I was less than of. Yeah, you yeah. know, it, it was. It, it really came from a place where I'd suffered. So I think one of the things you can do in life is build compassion. Yeah, and that's what I started to build. That's actually what brought me back into my body, and you know, uh, normalized the beast and brought me back into being a black Labrador again. I was affectionate and loving, and I love it. You know, and but but the when I was in in this other mode, it would allow me to really find massive transformative purpose. And I see that a lot of the times when I go up against forces of nature that are seemingly impossible to take on, yeah. the reason I'm able to take it on is because that Black Panther lives in me. It's there. Yeah, yeah. it's there, you know. Right. And, yeah. and I don't want it to come out because that's like a different part of me. Right, but acknowledgement is still, yeah. But I honor necessary. it because it's something that's truly... Uh, someone that can go up against perpetrators and, yeah. you know, uh, protect the weak or the victims and, right. and also activate the bystanders. That's the most powerful thing you can do. Yeah. You know, so many, yeah, yeah. because here, you know, the, the largest problem we have is a bunch of bystanders. Yes, and yeah, so when the yeah. bystanders saw this one kid going up, up against four kids, you know, in school, they'd be like, oh, my God, you know, yeah. I could be that. And, and really speaking, I... They're perpetrators, victims, collaborators, and bystanders. There's a book about that. Mm. And I really believe in order to become, you know, the transformative purpose you want to see in the world, you have to activate bystanders into becoming people that stand up. Yes. Stand up and believe and, uh, you know, stand up for what they believe in. I love that as a method. What, what were the four again? Perpetrators? Perpetrators, victims, victims collaborators, and, and bystanders. bystanders. And so the win is, right, converting the bystanders to you know, activate them to, exactly. to, and to, to stand up. And that's what an exponential leader does. Mm -hmm. In fact, one of my great mentors, David Roberts, yeah. actually is the one who inspired me uh, from Singularity University yeah. uh, with the story. With yeah. And, you know, I've... I've always lived my life since then mm. around this idea because I was like, oh, my God, I'm none of the four. Mm -hmm. I had to become mm. the hero, right? Yeah. Meaning I had to learn yeah. how to really become an ex-fellow yeah. or a real ver version of the Avengers. Mm. 
Yeah. You know, like the social Avengers of the future. Oh, that's where I, I like that even more. Now it's making me think X-Men. Go. Keep you going. know, yeah. and, and if you think about the idea of extraordinary leadership, it's not about how hard, you know, Rocky says this, right? How hard you get hit. Because people kept asking me, you the one the hit? No, I got hit and I got back up. Right. And looked bigger and more powerful. Yeah. And I moved forward. And that scared the shit out of them. Because yeah, they were worried we about him. when's he going to stop getting back up mm. and keep moving forward? When's he going to lean back or fall back? And I never felt back. Mm. So I never fell back. I stepped up, I got up, and I moved forward. And I didn't hit them yeah. until, of course, you know, once or twice when you're sure, really thrown into a place where you have to f fight. Yeah. And that never turned out well. I mean, I, then I got beaten up yeah. black and blue at home by my mom and dad. Oh, by your parents. <laughs> yeah. oh really? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not, not meaning in a loving, affectionate yeah. way because they're no, like yeah. scared because, you know, I'm going up against these aristocrats' yeah. kids and there's right. a whole thing it's going on there. Yeah, it's going on there. really political. So. Were they like, it was like casted out? Like these were the kids from, I mean, we hear These about kids were like there, the kids that came from affluent families. And, okay. You know, okay. And, and I was also lucky enough to be in, in a circle which could run in that pack but they were like a different yeah. league right and this is really young so this is this is uh this is Dela like nine years Chennai old area yeah nine years old in chennai oh so they were your your people were originally from chennai they just moved up to no Dela. we originally from where the dalai lama here uh seeks refuge yes himachal pradesh oh really so we're from um in, right below dharamshala okay which is kangra valley i'm familiar yeah and it's really one of the most sacred belts of India. Yeah. Um, Himachal Pradesh is where we, we're called Paharis. Mm -hmm. And it's really near the ri uh, holy river Ganges. Yes, I know the Ganges, yeah. And the Himalayas. Yeah, yeah. So we come from there. We're people of the hill. Right. You people know, of the hill. Of the mountains. We're right. called mountain people. Right. Of India. I'll, okay. Yeah. And so... But where they, they raised you, they moved, what, south? We moved, well, we moved generations ago, and my grandfather moved to Calcutta. Oh, my right, dad was born people. in Calcutta, okay. uh, which was actually the original capital of India. Mm, it was yeah. supposed to be Calcutta, then moved to New Delhi, and when, you know, when the British left us. Yeah. And so what happened was my dad was born there, and my dad, you know, keeps, like, telling me how... You were born to be Iron Man and you ended up being a slum dog without the millionaire part. Because <laughs> I literally, I, I'm not driven by money. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. My life hasn't been one of the hustle, you know. Yeah, yeah. And for me, hustling is protecting those people that deserve a shot at life. Yes, or, I like that or, word. Or deserve. a chance, you know. They do. They do. And for me, it's like everyone should be allowed yeah. to have a universal basic opportunity zone. I like you that. You know, not just an income, but an opportunity zone. Yeah. Because I believe more than income, what inspires you is opportunity. Yeah. When you're given the right opportunity and you're yeah. given the right set of circumstances to meet that opportunity with a good it. fellowship. Yeah. That's why the ex-fellows, you have the right people by your side. Yes. You can make the impossible possible. You can move through pain yeah. and find hope and then inspire others to find hope as well. I love so that. for me, that's, that's, that's why I believe suffering is um, not necessarily a negative. Yeah. It's, it's a part of life. Oh, yeah, if has, you can yeah. reduce it, like I, I wouldn't want someone I love to suffer. Sure. It's not something you wish on people. Sure. But would I bear their pain? I would 100% do that because that's just my skin. You yeah. know, I love to bear people's pain or my own pain yeah. to see them succeed.
Because right. it's kind of like a blessing when you see that happen. No, I'm with you 100%. When I think about, uh, again, back to that question of nature versus survival, et cetera, what I think is most natural for us, or how are we doing on time? Okay. When I think about what's most natural for us, I think, yes, it is survival. So we've built these things to help us. We'll suffer less and survive more, but it does not mean that we are or can be even without suffering. Yeah. Um, and so I think, right, the, the best thing that, uh, that leaders can do and uh, methods that they distribute is to build out systems that are rigorous enough to ensure that as we incur suffering yeah that we can acknowledge it mm -hmm. like how you as you're telling your story you acknowledged it yeah and then you were able to move past of it through some work yeah and then now you are at the point of communicating that distributing that to see well how might this help and affect the next Others. person yeah and no matter where they really are in their life because they you know i know you know 68 year olds i'm thinking of one person in particular mm -hmm. who is still at that point where <coughs> he's trying to figure out if he should acknowledge the initial traumas, right. you know, in his life. And so, you know, people come about it at, uh, at different times. You could be an eight year old, you could be a 68 year old. And, um, so yeah, I think the systems that provide, and I like what you said, universal basic opportunity yeah. is so necessary. And I also agree that, yeah, when people see, or, you know, as they seek to survive, when they see the opportunity, the potential for survival on the horizon, mm -hmm they're optimistic to go towards that. I, I will say one thing I don't like is when, and I hear this all the time, people go, oh, you're an optimist. And it's like, if you are here, if you haven't offed it yet, yeah. and you know, I know, you know, depression is way up, suicide is up 25% in this yeah. century. If you are here, you are optimistic. If you are doing things, if you are toiling away, you are optimistic. Like are, we are wired to want to be here for yeah. as long as possible, our yeah. cells do. And so, and so, sure, I guess you could call me an optimist, but it's not necessary. It's like saying you are human. Well, yeah, mm. by default, I am here. Yeah. So, so with the ex-fellows, you all are actually, it is a, a fellowship for certain applicants. So these are people that you are selecting that you think per whatever they're doing, there's some potential, potential there of establishing opportunity, not only for themselves, but for, for the world. Folks. Yeah. Yeah. And also, you know, That's it's amazing. a network of networks. Yeah. Right. What I mean by that is we have social networks right now mm -hmm. that are very, um, interestingly enough, how you said, you know, it, technology is wiring us to be very centric, mm -hmm. meaning mm -hmm. self-centric, mm -hmm. yeah. right? So there, it's yeah. what I like, what I want to buy, what I need, what, uh, what, shows I want to watch, yeah. you know, so it's kind of like influencing you. Mm -hmm. So I don't believe we have a technology problem or a resource problem. Mm -hmm. I actually believe that we have a re uh, leadership problem. That's at the core of this. And that's what X fellows is addressing is that leadership problem. How can we be extraordinary yeah. without, um, you know, an iPhone? Exactly. Like how can you really learn to be alone and, feel like you can do anything and change everything. Yes. Right? And to me, that is what I feel the ex-fellows are. It's for only the brave, mm. for those that are willing to take a shot and fail, mm. and fail forward, get back up, keep moving forward. Mm -hmm. You don't have to throw a punch. You just have to take a lot of punches, hard ones, soft ones. All kinds of punches That's are going to come at you yeah. in life, right? You're going to be beat hits. down and you're going to be 
in New York City especially. I mean, oh, yeah. we know that for a fact. This New York is a tough city. I love the city. Yeah. In fact, I would know I would live nowhere else I'm in the you. city. I'm at that um, point. In fact, I learned that seven, six years ago when yeah. I was in L.A. You and, <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I enjoyed L.A. after San Francisco. Yeah. And then I had the opportunity to move and I was going to move. Mm. And I, I chose, you know, between San Francisco and L.A. I was like, I mean, so I choose between San Francisco and New York. I was like choosing between my mother and my father. And I was calling San Francisco my mom. But it's yeah. really warm and fuzzy and I love being there. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, New York's like my father. And there yeah. is a sense of wanting to live up to... Yes. And I don't think there's anything wrong with living a life that's in service of someone that's larger than yourself or greater than you. I'm with um, you. As long as you live a life that's true to yourself. In New York, you does feel like that. Yeah, it's a real city. Like, you yeah. will be knocked down, but you'll be knocked down for the right reasons. Yeah. And then you have to move back and get back up and keep moving forward. Yeah, you really get to learn about yourself in this city. Like, am I what I say I am? Yeah. You know, like, was I that guy in, you know, in Connecticut or North Carolina? Mm, maybe. Yeah. But, but here, you really get to know, are you what you say are you are? you what you say you are? And you stand up and do it. And that's one thing, you know, space. whatever's said and done. Yeah. Um... I respect about Donald Trump. Yeah. Is he tells it he tells you who he is yeah. to your face. Yeah. He won't send a spokesperson there. He will tell you straight. He will say it. He, yeah. That's one thing about New York. They will tell you to your face who they are. Yeah. You know, even what, if it means hurting that, your feelings. It resonated with people. I think the most interesting thing about him, even as it is galvanizing, you know, me as a progressive, my base, you know, what he did well and what we try to, you know, offer, even in, in my my candidacy and what I see even in some of my peers is that sort of authenticity. Yeah. The one thing that this era has, you know, delivered to us is I really think uh, the difference between what people used to call truth and just what people know to be transparency now. Like because we, because tech and data have delivered such awesome transparency to us around who people are, right. there is no more hiding. And so you have to say, I'm going to live by these principles here's my truth it is maybe crass uh do you accept yeah and and people are you know they're picking and choosing i think we're in the middle of a paradigm shift donald trump is just an example of that and um leaders of sorts new leaders have to meet this time where it is not necessarily meet donald trump where he is but meet no. this time where it is and be be righteous and authentic at the same time. Yeah. Um, and without being, again, if you are righteous and authentic, I guess then you're not scared. So I was going to say without being scared, but that would have been redundant. So, so yeah, and you all are, you're processing that in. Exactly. That's, that's the difficult That's thing the whole do. point. You know, yeah. it's like, I feel like the idea of being able to live your life uh, without fear or favor, to live in integrity, and to really be, not just the change, because today we don't, we can't just be the change we want to see in the world. You have to transform, which is one step above change. You know, it's it's going the, going the distance, and that's where you know you have to be able to look at what's happening here and now in the world and really question, you know, how how can I change the world if I can't even change myself? How right. can I transform the world if I can't transform within? And I really believe with inner transformation um, comes a great responsibility for effective outward impact. Yeah. And, you know, that, that's one thing that I think is at the core of what I do. And then the other 
extraordinary thing today is, you know, there's the African proverb, if you want to go mm. fast, you go alone. Mm. But if you want to go far, you go together. Yes. Today, you know, with all of these resources at our side, we can do both, especially mm -hmm. living in New York City. We can go fast and further than we ever have before together. Like you know? That. So I think being strong as an individual, yeah. as well as coming together and becoming a super organism, you know, as a group of leaders that outmatches any kind of predator or outside force that you consider, you know, a danger to society, the environment, or a cause that you believe in. So for me, it's that idea of becoming a super organism. And, you know, Margaret Mead said it best, which is uh, never doubt the commitment of a small group of committed citizens indeed it you is know margaret mead always, I love yeah her. i love her uh, margaret mead is my favorite probably person well my old uh, I, w I wanted to end it on you everything you said was so great <laughs> and then you brought up margaret mead and now i want to go on it we, we'll talk about her later i think on on that note of yeah. going further and faster than we ever have all at the same time um we we should we should end on that. Uh, Kunal, I want to thank you for, for all your wisdom. And uh, your thank time. you for having me. And I hope that you'll, you'll come back. I feel like this is a conversation that needs to be had uh, multiple times. Oh, I love that. And that we, we have a bunch of mutual friends I think we should fill the studio with and just see if we can, can rift on that. So, um, we'll, but thank you. Thank, thank you. you thank time. you for having me. Yeah.